There's a story that is told about a, a conference that was held in hell. And the devil got together with some of his demons. They were trying to figure out a new lie that would be more deceptive and that would lead more people astray, keep more people out of heaven. And the first demon, he said, he said I know just the lie. He said, let's say there is no God. Satan said, no, that'll never work. He said, people can look outside and they can see all around. They know there's a creator. Anybody with half a brain knows that's a lie. So the the second demon says, no, wait a minute. He says, I got an idea. Let's tell them there is no heaven. Satan again said, no. He said, that won't work either. He says, people people know in their soul there is life after death and and everybody wants to go to heaven. He said, that's not going to work. The third demon said, "Uh, I know what. He said, let's say there is no hell. Satan says, you demons really don't know people, do you? He says, people have a conscience. They have a soul. They realize there is such a thing as justice. And they know that one day there will be judgment. Finally, a fourth demon spoke up and said, Well, we'll find out later today. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter number 23. In our journey through the book of Acts, we joined Paul again today. A few weeks ago, we watched as he was arrested after being nearly beaten to death by a crowd in the temple complex. The only reason he was spared flogging is that he was a Roman citizen. And then last week, we watched as the Jewish Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, tried to examine him to see if there were any charges that that might be um, he might be guilty of. Well, after Paul announced his belief in the resurrection, they too erupted in a riot. The, the, the Sadducees against the Pharisees and back and forth. Um, and when we left Paul last week, he was being smuggled out of Jerusalem under dark of night. He is at 9 o'clock. He is being guarded by no less than 470 soldiers To prevent a band of Jews from killing him. They had sworn to do so. The end of Acts 23 includes the text of a letter that the commander, Claudius Lysias, sent to the Roman governor Felix outlining the situation. Like many politicians today, Lysias rearranged the facts just a little bit to put himself in the best possible light. He conveniently left out the part where he nearly flogged a Roman citizen without a trial. The art of spin is nothing new. Nevertheless, the letter represents a handoff of the prisoner. The rest of Acts chapter 23 describes how they went first to Antipatris. Antipatris was, here's Jerusalem, it was about halfway down to Caesarea, which was their destination, and it was a a place of a Roman garrison. Here are some ruins of Antipatris. They were built, some of those, by Herod the Great, still standing today, built 2,000 years ago. You could see some of the fortifications, and this is where um, they they had a halfway point. Some of the soldiers turned around and went back, and Paul and the rest continued on down to Caesarea Maritima. 
because almost all of the country around is lower than Jerusalem, it was almost an entire downhill trip. It tells us there in the last verse of chapter 23 that Paul was held in the temple of Herod, um, which is out here, jutted out. And when we were in uh, Israel in 2018, we were able to see the ruins that are still there, if I can get it to advance here. Um, It had an Olympic-sized swimming pool in the palace. Um, opulence is nothing new, beauty and all of that. And so they had quite a, a place. On the west end, there was a large hall. And that is likely where Paul's um, trial took place. That What we're going to read about and hear about today. And this is what that whole area looks like now. When we visited in 2018, God willing, we'll be back there uh, in November to see that area once again. But uh, quite an impressive palace. Many believe that Paul wrote his second letter to the Philippians while he was imprisoned within that building for nearly two years. So that brings us up then to Caesarea Maritima and where we find Paul in uh, prison. I want to invite you to please stand if you're able as we read Acts chapter 24 beginning in verse number 1. Five days later the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. And they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you. And your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. The Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. Keep your Bibles open this morning. God, bless this word, I pray. Bless this message. God, I pray that you would bless us as we hear it. We ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, and you may be seated this morning. So you'll remember last week that there was a group of folks that had banded together. They were going to murder Paul. Um, And the high priest, we think, was probably behind it. So imagine their shock when they wake up the next morning to find out that Paul is 70 miles from Jerusalem. Learning how the game had changed, they had to now hire a lawyer, probably a Roman. They had to build their case and they had to beat feet down to Caesarea. They got there five days later and Governor Felix convened the court in order to hear the case. Now, five days, that is a pretty speedy trial, isn't it? (laughs) That hardly ever happens today. But unfortunately, the verdict will take a lot longer. 
Before we actually get into the trial, let's learn a little bit about the judge. Governor Marcus Antonius Felix. Sounds impressive, doesn't it? It's not. Everybody say Felix. We learned last week that Ananias, the high priest, was a very wicked man. But as wicked as Ananias was, Felix made him look like a choir boy. Even though he was named Felix, and even though he and Ananias paired up on some things, they were not the odd couple, they were the wicked couple. Interestingly enough, Felix replaced the uh, former governor because Ananias complained about the former governor. They should have been happy with what they had because things can always get worse, and they did. Felix had been a Roman slave. Somehow he and his brother achieved their freedom. His brother became the most trusted and valued advisor by Emperor Claudius. And so his brother convinced the emperor to appoint Felix as the governor of Judea in in A.D. 52. Felix held the same position that Pontius Pilate had held, governor of Judea. Their headquarters were there in Caesarea. His job was to run the army. It was to keep the peace. It was to collect taxes. Unfortunately, he had no idea how to effectively do any of that. As much as the Jews hated their high priest Ananias, they grew to hate Felix even worse. Felix had no sympathy for what he saw as those inferior Jews. Prior to his appointment, there had been many fanatics. There had been many robbers in that area. His first priority was to get rid of all of those. And so he paid informants to tell him information, whether it was true or not. He tortured those who were accused, whether they were guilty or not. And he ruthlessly punished violators, crucifying many of them. Like Hitler did many years after him, Felix had his own secret death squads to take out anybody that opposed him. The plan backfired somewhat for the zealots, another Jewish group, became even more bold. They began committing murders in broad daylight nearly every day. We can understand then why Lysias and everybody else in Jerusalem was constantly on edge. It was a very tense time. It ultimately culminated in the Jewish revolt in 66 AD and the complete destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. But that's yet to come. Felix is some of the kindling for that fire about 15 years ahead of time, getting things warmed up. We would be remiss today if we didn't examine Felix's personal life a little bit. Everybody say personal. Felix married three different women in succession after divorcing the one before. One of the first two was the granddaughter of Antony and Cleopatra. His last wife, Drusilla, who we will meet at the end of this chapter, was a great-granddaughter of King Herod. Remember King Herod? He's the one that killed all the Bethlehem babies trying to get Jesus a number of years before. Herod is also the one that built Caesarea Maritima. 
Despite her name, Drusilla was known for her stunning beauty. And when she was only 16, Felix convinced her to divorce her current husband in order to marry him. She was a Jew. Roman governors were not supposed to marry their subjects. But who cares about technicalities when you got money and power and beauty all three, right? Such was the judge of this trial, the dishonorable Governor Felix. It's interesting to ponder a little bit that Paul no doubt actually prayed for Felix because he tells the young preacher Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2 to pray for all of those in authority. Even the wicked ones, of which we still have many today. In verses 2 through 9, Ananias' high-powered, hired-gun lawyer, Tertullus, presents their case. He does so beginning by flattering Felix with obvious lies. Did you hear all that flowery oratory there at the beginning? As Mark Belial says, the lives of the Jews were neither peaceful nor prosperous. And they certainly were not thankful for their oppressors. But before he can win the case, Tertullus must win the judge. He continues then by making three false charges. It's kind of like the shotgun approach. Throw it all up against the wall. Hopefully something will stick. The first approach, the first charge... They said that Paul was a troublemaker. Everybody say troublemaker. King James Version says that he was a pestilent fellow. The Amplified Bible calls him a perfect pest. I've been called that before. So we're in good company. Paul was not the one who had stirred up trouble. He happened to be there when the Jews did so. That's the first. Secondly... Tertullus accused Paul of stirring up riots all over the world, and this too was false. Although he had traveled throughout the empire, Paul is not the one that caused the problems. He was actually a law-abiding citizen. But this was sedition. And if it was proved true, it would result in the death penalty for Paul. Finally, the third charge was they... He had tried to desecrate the temple. We already saw that this was false. But if he was found guilty, if Felix could be convinced, it also would bring about the penalty of death. It's more than a little bit ironic that Paul was actually arrested for supposedly defiling the temple while he was uh, fulfilling a Jewish vow. And bringing money. Bringing money to support The work of God there in Jerusalem. When you examine it. Tertullus really presents a very weak case. Although he makes charges. He presents no evidence whatsoever to back him up. Paul will point that out. Let's hear his defense beginning in verse number 10. Look back at your Bibles. It says when the governor motioned for him to speak. Paul replied. I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. 
My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges that they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to to keep my conscience clear before God and man. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence... It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. Now I want you to notice a couple of important doctrinal points that Paul makes. He readily admits that he follows Jesus, does he not? Yeah, I'm, I'm, if that's a, a crime, I'm guilty of that, he says. He also says, I believe everything in the law and the prophets. Everybody say everything. Once again, it underscores the importance of the entire Word of God. It's all there for some reason. It was this same man, Paul, who again told Timothy in another place that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for God's people. It's really horrible today and heretical to hear people say this or that part of the Bible no longer applies. This or that part of the Bible is no longer true. No, it's still all true. It's important that we, like Paul, believe the law and the prophets. So Paul argues for the resurrection, which we also took note of last week. And this time he clarifies, he says, resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. It echoes Daniel's words that we find in chapter 12, verse 2, where Daniel says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. My friends, it's not just Christians that will rise from the dead. We all will. Christian or non, good or bad, doesn't every every human being is created with an eternal soul. It's also true that not everyone who rises from the dead will go to heaven. Only those who have been washed in the blood of the resurrected one, Jesus Christ. Then Paul gently points out the fact That those Asian Jews who accused him of defiling the temple aren't even there. This was a serious violation of Roman law. If your accusers didn't show up, the case was supposed to be thrown out. And they could be held guilty. Paul knew the law and Paul used the law. 
But who cares about technicalities when you have money and power and beauty? With this, Paul rests his case. Verse 22. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will, decla- I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. So Felix postpones the case. He continues the case. That's very common in our own court system, is it not? Especially now with COVID. But his action, his inaction, showed his weakness to take a stand, to make a decision. And so Paul is left in jail with limited freedom where he stays For the next two years. Verse 24. Several days later, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, That's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. So all that we learned earlier in the message about Felix and about his wife Drusilla now becomes important. Felix's curiosity had been picked by the gospel. He and his wife wanted to hear more about this Jesus. Not enough to respond. Not enough to be saved. Just enough to be educated. Just enough to be entertained. My dear friend, if the good news of Jesus Christ is only educational or only entertaining to you, you are still eternally lost. Gospel knowledge doesn't save anybody. We can learn the Bible by heart from beginning to end, make an A in every theology class we ever take, and still be as lost as we can be. It is our repentance of our sin, it is our acceptance of the blood of Jesus on our behalf that grants us entry into heaven. I want you to notice what Paul preached about that day. It says he preached about righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. That's right living. That's living according to God's laws. Which neither Felix nor Drusilla were doing. As we learned about their lifestyle. Far from it. Secondly, everybody say self-control. He preached about self-control. Again, which... Felix nor Drusilla showed any of. Neither in their personal lives nor as Felix governed his subjects. And finally, the judgment to come. 
Paul made it clear that while he was currently being judged by Felix, that one day Felix and Drusilla both would be judged by another. Oh, my friend, Paul didn't hold back, did he? He didn't sugarcoat the truth to try to get released, to try to appease the wicked, to try to somehow gain the favor of rich and powerful people. He just told the truth. Righteousness. Self-control. The judgment to come. Verse 25 we read says that Felix was afraid as he heard about all this. The Greek word literally means terrified. Felix begins shaking in his shoes as he hears what Paul is saying. Why do you reckon that is? My friends, the Holy Spirit was at work in Felix's life, uh, in his life, as he was convicted about the things that he had done all along the way, about the things he was doing, and about the things he was getting ready to do. And that's when they cut the TV off. That's when they changed the channel. That's when they sent Paul out of the room. That's enough for now. Look, when it's more convenient, I'll call for you, Paul. Many people today will listen to the gospel until it touches on something that's too close to home. Something they don't want to be touched. Something that they don't want to change. Something that we don't want to give up. And then we turn away to our own destruction. Now Felix, it does say, called for Paul from time to time after that. But as far as we know, Felix never repented. He never accepted the gospel. And each time he rejected it, you know what happened to his heart, right? It got harder and harder. And, and that's, that's what happens to us. Every time we reject God, every time we reject his word, or maybe we're even saved and he, he convicts us of some sin, we, we begin to resist him. Our heart gets harder and harder each time. Interestingly, Felix wanted a bribe, but Paul had something a lot more valuable than money, but he wanted no part of that. Felix's convenient time never came. Two years later, when Festus took over, Felix was called back to Rome. He had to answer to the new emperor, Emperor Nero, for how he had killed thousands of Jews right there in Caesarea and looted the homes of many others. Felix is never heard from again after that. Historians speculate that he was probably either killed or forced to kill himself. His more convenient time never came. Neither did it come for his wife, Drusilla. The archaeology study Bible tells us that Drusilla and her son died suddenly in A.D. 79 in a city called Pompeii when Mount Vesuvius erupted. I have to wonder today if Paul's words echoed in her head as the fire literally rained down from the heavens. Friend, are you like Felix? 
You plan to be saved one day. One day, you're going to do that. It's on your list, just not this day. You got some wild oats you want to continue to enjoy. Your sin is too much fun. Pastor, I'd have to, I'd have to change my friends if I did that. Pastor, I'd have to give up some bad habit. Pastor, I'd have to be more regular in my church attendance. I'll, I'll do it at a more convenient time. Really? What time is that? When will it ever be easier for you to accept Jesus than it is right now? Well, I'll do it on my, my deathbed. Well, I would remind you today that like Drusilla, some people never get that opportunity. I wouldn't take that chance if I were you. There are things called heart attacks. There are things called strokes. There are things called accidents that can usher us into eternity immediately without an opportunity. You say, Pastor, you're trying to scare me into heaven. I just want to tell you the truth. <laughs> it ha- you know what happens. I don't have to tell you. You know that. And so make that decision now. Felix was a procrastinator. He put off a verdict on Paul, didn't he? He just kept putting it off. Even more tragically, he put off a verdict on the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 2 says, Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now, not this afternoon, not tomorrow. Today. Warren Wearsby says, Felix procrastinated himself into hell. Don't make that same mistake. A non-decision about Jesus Christ is a decision not to receive him. H.A. Ironside said, think of the Lord of glory as a young man in the very prime of his life dying for you. Yet you say to him, after I have drunk the cup of sin to the full... I will give the dregs of my life to you. Could anything be more thankless and more insulting? The decision is yours and mine, but so also is the eternity that goes with it. Please don't put it off. I would remind you that as Drusilla and her son both were killed, sometimes our procrastination hinders someone else from making a decision that they should well make. So, have you figured it out yet? The first said, there is no God. Satan said, no, that won't work. The second one said, there is no heaven. He said, that won't work either. The third said, there is no hell. Not good enough. And finally, the fourth one said, let's tell them there is no hurry. No hurry. And that's the lie that ushered Felix and Drusilla into hell. It's still ushering many thousands there today.
Friend, if you have believed that lie, do so no longer. It is a lie. It does come directly from the pit of hell. Accept Jesus and be saved today. Do that as we pray together. Father, we come to you this morning in awe and wonder, recognizing that you are a great creator, knowing in our souls there is life after death. And Father, with a sense of justice, realizing that sin will be punished. But perhaps we are like Felix. We have been putting it off. We have been delaying. We've been procrastinating. Oh God, in Jesus' name, may we do so no longer. Friend, if you're here as we pray together, just indicate to the Lord this morning and just admit and say, God, I know I've sinned. I know I have. I know I've done wrong. And I've enjoyed it. And I'm sorry about that. And I confess it before you today. And I ask you, Lord, today to forgive my sin in the blood of Jesus Christ. Please save my soul. I don't, I don't want to take that chance. I want, I want to know that when I close my eyes for the last time I'm here, I'm going to open them in heaven in your presence. Accept Jesus as your Savior. Receive the resurrection to eternity. Maybe, maybe we're here this morning and, and we've done that, praise God. And, but we're, we know we've been procrastinating about addressing something in our life that's not what it should be. Then confess that to the Lord this morning. Ask for His forgiveness and ask for His power, Holy Spirit power, to, to live as we ought to live. Righteousness, right living, self-control, that we might be prepared and ready for the judgment to come. Father, we, we thank you today for your great love. We're awed by the fact that you will forgive all if we confess. You will receive us just as we are, dirty as we can be, even like Felix, even like Ananias. You'll receive us as we are, even like me. Oh, God, thank you for your great mercy. Thank you for your great grace. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes whiter than snow. We ask our prayer in his name today and everyone said.